across my kind of 25 years, there are some times when I've got my kind of foot on the comedy accelerator, and there are some times when I've kind of got my my brake on the comedy accelerator, and I've got my foot down on the the drama accelerator. And I think with this one, it just has this wonderful combination of comedy and drama. You can be laughing at one moment and then you have your hand over your mouth at the other moment and you know you're just feeling all of these different emotions constantly so it was just a real pleasure to write. If it was as simple as get rich, get famous and be happy, why have we got so many actors, so many rock stars who are in rehab or take their lives or end up in the skids in some form? You know, it's not that straightforward. What I particularly like is the way you said, make your own magnum. I don't yeah. think there's, there's ever been a more brilliant uh, sentence said, make your own magnum. <laughs> brilliant stuff. Hello, welcome to Best Sellers. I'm Phil Williams. And I'm Natalie Jameson. It nailed it. Thanks. I know my name. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you say that now, people are going to think, why is he having a pop-up? That's because two seconds ago, you didn't know your name. <laughs> I did know my name. I was just like, what are we doing? What's next on my list? My brain was... Uh, are you frazzled? Uh, no, I'm not particularly frazzled. Um, I'm just, yeah, as I've said before, mm. nobody ever wants to look inside my brain. There's <laughs> a whole mess of stuff in there. <laughs> We've got this image of Lloyd Grossman in your brain right now going, who'd live in a house like this? Yeah, no, it's so cluttered. It's so cluttered. Yeah, it would be, it needs a really good tidy. But anyway. Um, before you say, before you say who it is, right, how yeah. many times on bestsellers have we both read a book that has made us both feel joyous? Quite a few times. Otherwise, yeah. that makes it sound like we've been well, reading I mean really is, crappy yeah, books. Yeah, no, because some of them, so some of them can be quite intense, can't they? And you're like, yes. oh, that's brilliant. But it, but it doesn't fill you with joy. It fills you with admiration. It it makes you glad that you've seen it through. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, yeah. But the book that we're on today is just pure sunshine, isn't it? It is, uh, and that's not to say that there aren't bittersweet moments Correct. in it, and Correct. you know, um, ups and downs. But yeah, Mike Gale's A Song of Me and You is such a good read. And it's that stupid thing where you almost think like, I don't want to say it unexpectedly, but I, because I think Mike's so prolific, he, you know, he's, as we talk about in today's podcast, he's been writing for 25 years. This is his 19th book. Um, you kind of think, oh yeah, it's a Mike Gale book, but I'm genuinely so impressed that you know you can pick up book 19 and be like I don't want to put this down it's so good mm. like I feel like I took him for granted which is shame on me I think also and you you've made this point numerous times in the past is that if a book's easy to read and he speaks in what you're about here he speaks about knowing that he's like a beach read guy people take his books on holiday that there's something denigrating about that and actually I think it should be the highest form of praise yeah as as we've said, don't you know? It's much harder. We Always. both did radio one, didn't we? And it's um, on Newsbeat. It's much harder to tell a story in one minute fifteen than it is in three minutes. Yeah, for and sure. I think it's much harder to get a book where you viciously turn in the pages. And Mike knows he's done this. There was an interview he gave in the bookseller I saw, and he said, "Oh, you'll be up till two in the morning reading this." And I thought, "Yeah, whatever." First night it was, it was two. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I've got to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's such a skill, uh, one that I hope to emulate someday. But yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story. And it's, again, it's a phrase that I think often gets overused, but it's a story for everyone. But I could happily recommend this to so many people, yes. which again, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I would necessarily do with all of the books that we've spoken about here, because they're either a bit more niche or they're, as you say, quite intense or quite graphic. And and things but this one i could yeah to happily recommend it to anyone yeah your daughter would love this but so would your mom yeah yeah so without further ado here's natalie jameson to do the proper introduction what she wrote Mike Gale joins us today to talk about his 19th book. Uh, 19, I can't believe you've written 19. 
It's called A Song of Me and You, and it came into my reading life at the perfect time because it was that sort of book where I just didn't want to do anything else but read this. I had work to do, I had like kid stuff to do, I had family things to do, and I was like, yep, just want to steal a couple of chapters here and there. It's that type of read. Um, His first book, My Legendary Girlfriend, was published 25 years ago. How could it be when he looks so young? Um, so there's also an anniversary edition of that too. We chatted three years ago. Is it on far back? It is yeah. on series one for all the lonely people. Um, so I think for this return visit, you're now just like a friend of the podcast. I think that's how we'll oh, describe thank you. Thank you very much. So yes. hi, Mike Gale. <laughs> thank you very much for having me back. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Um, so to start with, uh, no spoilers, as always. Um, and I think because you're practiced at this, you're going to do it much better than Phil or I would. Can you just lay out the brief premise of this book, which we adored so much? OK, so uh, Helen is a part time uh, teacher and she is having um, a really bad year. So at the beginning of the year, her husband has left her and has taken up with one of his younger colleagues. Um, and. It, it, it's but it gets even worse because when we meet her at the very beginning of the book um he is taking the kids on the family holiday that should have been their family holiday um and that helen should have been going on and he's taking his new partner and the kids on holiday and she this is the first time she's been left alone in the house and she is just completely devastated um and she tries to busy herself uh, and tried to keep active and a couple of hours later there's a knock at the door and there's somebody on the door that uh, on her doorstep that she's not seen in the best part of 25 years it's her ex-boyfriend who as well as being her ex-boyfriend is also now a world-renowned rock star and but i suppose that ultimately the question is what is uh his name's ben and what is ben doing there and how are they going to change each other's lives and um there's a lot that goes on and it's it's a really it's a really lovely beautiful book that will make you laugh and smile and wince and do all the the kind of run the whole gamut of emotions (laughs) it's it's really good even though i say so myself i wrote it but yeah it's about first love (laughs) and second chances and yeah you'll love it so just on that, Mike, I read some quotes. I think you gave to the bookseller where you were saying how good it was for yourself. Uh, and mm. I, I thought, well, that's that's not quite, a lot, quite like Mike. To, to You know, he's, you're not someone who blows your own trumpet really loud, are you? So uh, did you kind of – how do you know as a writer, when you've done 19 books, how do you know that this one is that good? What, what feeling do you get? What's the gut telling you? It made me laugh. And it made me feel things as I was writing it. And that that's how I knew, you know, it was it was just from beginning. You know, sometimes you write a book can be like pulling teeth and, you know, it's a real, real slog to get there. And this one was just like, I can't wait till I get to my desk every single day because these are re- these are characters who I really identify with. I feel really close to. I, re- I feel really protective of. Um, and Helen is is a really lovely character. She's somebody. There's something very every woman about her, but at the same time, um, it's, 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 I suppose it's that that kind of idea of you know, um, you know, when you're, um, when you're in your kind of forties and you know your kids look at you as though you, you know, I think they all sort of believe that you didn't exist before they came into the world, and Helen sort of typifies that, and so. The, the wonderful thing about this story is that they that her kids get to realize that actually she had a life before them and that you know um and ben was part of this life so it, it was just a real a real pleasure to write every every single you know even even the uh the the kind of ex-husband um he was a pleasure to write just because he's so evil i mean he's not just he's not just evil he's just like properly evil you, just, you know, he's really arrogant, isn't he? Every time yeah. He comes up, boo, get off stage. You know, he's <laughs> awful. And uh, so, yeah, you know, everything about this book is just beautiful. When I was reading The Husband, I, um, you know, how actors sometimes say they have more fun playing the baddie. I, yes, I just, yeah, I just yeah. pictured, I pictured you laughing your head off in your study, writing this prick of a of a husband, thinking, <laughs> oh, I, I bet he's loving creating this because actually, he's, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> 
he's not pantomime. He's really, so I, I know blokes that have done that. Yes. What he's done. So he's really, he's founded in realism, but at the same time, you just think, you idiot. You idiot. Yes. He is, he's completely deluded. He's, yeah. you know, uh, he's, you know, career-wise, he thinks he's doing well. He's aiming to be a, a you know, he's deputy head. He, he wants to be a head teacher. And he's got this younger, attractive, uh, you know, uh, teacher who's interested in him. And as, you know, and so he's got this whole new life and he's leaving his old life behind. So he thinks that he's got it all made. And, you know, again, we've, we've all know people like this who have been in these sorts of situations. And very rarely does it end well. Um, let's just put it that way without giving any spoilers. Yeah, I'm really biting my tongue because my my sister's divorced. She's now happily remarried. But um, yeah, it's a lot of your writing of that divorced husband and the entitlement that even yeah. though they're the ones that cheated and did an appalling emotional act on their wife and kids, that they're somehow I don't know. It's like it's this weird entitlement. That's the only word I can think of to describe it, where they just see themselves as being the one that's been wronged somehow <laughs> like yeah right, can i just check with you that your sister's happy for this bit to stay in yeah she'll have a listen to it it's fine <laughs> it's, it's that it's that whole idea that that you know like as you say that they're the victims that they are you know they're breaking free for free you know striking a blow for freedom and you know it, it's yeah you know it, he, he's he's somebody as soon as you read it as soon as you read his lines, you know, you, you just know it's him talking because it, it just oozes just that kind of entitlement that you're talking about. So, yeah, no, proper evil. Could you pinpoint what it was, why it came so easily? Was it the subject? Was it the characters? Because presumably you want to replicate that experience for yourself, right, yeah. going forward? I think I think it was a, a combination of um, they were characters, the characters they were, a similar sort of age to me and um and i suppose it it, it was about it's you know the thing the thing you want to do with a book it, it, with, with kind of characters especially your, your kind of main characters is you really want to root for them and i knew that in in creating helen and her situation she was somebody that intrinsically you kind of rooted for anyway um and then it been I kind of made him somebody that we could root for as well. And so suddenly you've got these two people you're really rooting for. And you've also got this kind of proper evil villain playing it around in the background. So that kind of combination, I think, means that I am wanting the best for these people, for, for the, certainly for Helen and Ben. But also I think there's, there's an element of... Um, you know, sometimes I, uh, as a, you know, across my kind of 25 years, there are some times when I've got my kind of foot on the, on the kind of the comedy accelerator. And there are some times when I've kind of got my, my break on the comedy accelerator. I got my foot down on the, the drama accelerator. And I think with this one, it just has this wonderful combination of comedy and drama uh, and pathos that, that just means that you're you can be laughing at one moment and then you have your hand over your mouth at the other moment and you know you're just feeling all of these different emotions constantly so it was just a real pleasure to write how tricky was it to get us to root for ben the rock star that arrives because um it's very common in this country in the uk isn't it towards rock stars and footballers you'll hear people say what have they yes. got to be unhappy about they're multi-millionaires yes. and the idea that just because well, you're minted it, it gives you immunity to any kind of mental health or other emotional worry and turbulence that we all encounter in life well well ex exactly that and and that was the i think ben was the, the the character that i knew i knew was going to be a hard sell because um and and that was kind of what inspired the the, the character of ben there's, there's a there's a quote from Jim Carrey that talks about, um, he says something along the lines of, um, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And what I loved about that, that quote is here you've got somebody from the front line of fame and fortune telling you 
that it's not the answer to every everything. And even though that person is telling you that, they'll undoubtedly you're still fan five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be different. It would be different with me. Of course, if I was rich and famous, oh yeah. I'd, and you, you just like, and I just thought it's, it's really interesting that people, everybody thinks, and presumably, you know, even Ben to a degree in, in the beginning of the book certainly thinks the answer to everything has to be fame and fortune, just because it's what our culture tells us. You know, fame, fortune, adoration, this is the ultimate. And but it's only once you've got there and you realize that you're still the same person that you were at the very beginning. And actually you're not constantly happy and that there are things that get you down and you, you do, there are worries that you, you still have and the worries that you, you have because of the situation that you're in, but also worries that you just have because you're a human being. And so actually when you when you go back to the quote, you kind of think to yourself, well, actually, you know, what Ben is trying to exemplify is that he, he keeps saying, you know, it's not the answer to everything that everybody sees, everybody thinks. And so Ben was quite, um, and so I, I really, then, you know, one of the reasons why I chose to make Ben a rock star was to kind of have this discussion with the reader and say, look, you know, it's not always, if it was as simple as get rich, get famous and be happy, why have we got so many actors, so many rock stars who are in rehab or take their lives or end up in the skids in some form? You know, it's not that straightforward. You know, people love to take a, a you know, a, a complicated ideas and say, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be different. But actually, we're human beings and we, we make mistakes. And I don't think that money, fame and fortune is the answer to everything at all. Um, yeah, same. And, this is the discussion. And I love how you, I mean, this is not new for this book, but you always write with such real empathy and that's why we root for Ben. But just on that, I mean, is that something that's always come naturally to you? I I heard a really interesting discussion um, on, I really like the script notes podcast, which you may or may not listen to as well. And they were saying uh, with all the, discussion at the moment about the writer's strike and about um, using AI to write scripts and write books and that kind of whole sidebar discussion that's happening too. The thing that can never be replicated digitally is empathy. And actually that's what connects stories, whether it's a film, whether it's a book, in whatever form it is, that's actually the the human connective tissue that kind of means that something matters. And I just wondered if you had an opinion on that too. I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it, it it's it you know it's all very well to have you know um, you know uh, you know the the various kind of plot things that happen, but it, it's it's character where the your reader really gets connected, and you know the the reason why you know I, I think part of my at the very beginning when I'm kind of plotting is I'm one of the things I'm, I'm always thinking about is getting, making sure that my readers care about these characters, because if they care about them, if I can get them to care about them, then they, the, the ride that the characters go on will be the ride that the reader will go on because they'll be fully engaged with these characters. And so they will feel the highs and the lows in the same way that the characters are feeling the highs and the lows. If they're disconnected, if they if they don't believe in these characters, if they don't have empathy with these characters, then it doesn't matter how many events and uh, uh, plot points you throw at them. If somebody doesn't care, if the reader doesn't care, then it doesn't matter because you know it's almost like you you know you're you're kind of watching it happening in front of your eyes, but it's just like well they could live, they could die. I'm mm. not really fussed. Mm. Whereas you know what I try to do with the books is to talk try to make sure with the books is you're going to encounter characters that you are going to want to root for and want the best for. And because of that, you are about to go on a roller coaster to book yourself in because you are going to get some highs and lows and all the, the, the things that kind of come in between. And so, no, and I don't think you can re- replicate that with, with AI. I think they can try, um, mm. but I, I, I just don't think that that, that kind of you because we read we read stories to 
essentially to kind of learn about ourselves yeah and to learn about about what it is to be human about what it is to experience things out um and so even though we might read about things that are outside of our experience you know you could read a, a james bond book and you know you've never been a spy but you have been a human being and that's the important thing is that you're you then place yourself in the in in the positions that the character is in and think about oh how would i feel in that situation so that's the thing that can't be replicated with, with ai i think anyway and you just staying with ben Natalie and I have a background in entertainment journalism. We've interviewed a lot of rock stars and we've mm. also had to rub shoulders with their management. And you've got yeah. both spot on in this book. <laughs> so I want to know, Mike, who, who do you know, Mike? Who, who do you know? <laughs> well, the thing was, when, when, I read, when I knew that Ben was going to be a rock star, one of the first things I was aware of was people were going to think that I had based them on somebody in reality. And so I went out of my way to kind of put any any time he kind of remotely sounded like somebody who already existed, I kind of shied away from that. And so hopefully, um, that the, the, I've, I've met a few people who read it and have sort of said, "Oh, is it so and so? Is it so and so?" I go, "No," but I just thought, "Drat!" I, I clearly I haven't <laughs> kind of pushed it away <laughs> no. far enough. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I started out. Um, I used to write for uh, Top of the Pops magazine. I used to write for Just, Just 17. Ah. So um, we kind of met a, a lot of um, pop stars in my right. time and and their management and their, their kind of minders and things like that. And so I was sort of well aware of the, the kind of the, the kind of background and machinations of, of being a pop star. And so I kind of drew on a lot of that. And I realise you're not going to name any names, but because you describe that rock star lifestyle so well, and and in particular some of the locations that you yeah. write about, so you write about these amazing houses uh, in various parts of the world. Um, I wondered if you'd visited for any reason anything like that, or was that dreamt up, or was it something you'd seen on a TV show or magazine and went, were like, wow, that's what I want to describe. Well, this is where the internet becomes your friend. <laughs> if you just Google massive houses in Malibu, um, you can take a guided tour of these amazing places. And so um, I, I kind of knew, um, I kind of knew that Malibu was where Ben was going to be just because it's like Rockstar Central, but there's, you know, they're all there. And, um, and so I, I took a kind of a virtual tour of a couple of them and just and and just thought actually yeah that that's the one that's Ben's house and and so was there no small part of you that wanted to say to your publisher look guys it's 25 years I need to go to (laughs) (laughs) I need to be in for the inspiration wouldn't that be be great wouldn't that be great um unfortunately not no uh I mean I've uh, yeah so it, it was really important to kind of have that kind of um to really get a sense of place with with some of these sort of luxurious sort of um, um, places that kind of rock stars get to live because it, it, it's never it, it's usually it's more it tends to be more about the location and the style than it is about you know having five billion rooms because you know who needs five billion rooms when you're a rock star but you just need each room to be very 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 beautiful yeah and I'm quite fascinated by it. I look at quite a lot of those things on the internet too just not necessarily for research just because uh and I'm always there are often like those really expensive houses in California they might have say like seven bedrooms but they'll have 13 bathrooms and I'm always yep. like what, what, why? Why have you got more bathrooms and bedrooms? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing for guests and staff. Um, you know, maybe. who knows? Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or just to have one on every floor. Or but but you're not cleaning any of them, so it doesn't really matter, does no. it? <laughs> I suppose it also avoids having to say to any of your guests, "I'd give that 10 do you know what I mean? You've got 13 bedrooms. You have to warn everybody off the bathroom for 10 minutes. Too. <laughs> That's it. You might want to take a minute, mate. <laughs> <laughs> can we just, yeah. before we leave this bit alone, can we play the Drat game then? Can we see if we can make you say Drat? Who did you have in your mind that for Ben? Oh, no, don't do that on me because I... Well, I don't I'll, I'll do it as well. Okay, I know, but I often don't picture people because oh, I... okay. I don't tend to see them. I There's probably a word for it, but yeah, I kind of, I sort of see them, but they're not visually... Does that make yeah. sense? I had 
not in looks wise, but just in kind of lifestyle and level of success. I had Chris Martin. All oh, right. Okay. Okay. I'm saying nothing. I'm saying yeah. nothing. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> putting. I. I bet. But um, yeah. I, <laughs> it's one of many rock stars. It maybe it's all of them together. He said, moving on. <laughs> but, but I did that. I did that with all your characters. Right. Okay. So, so Helen was uh, reminded me of a really lovely English teacher I had when I was kind of 13, 14. I had, had her yeah. in my head for Helen. And then Rocco, all the obstreperous pricks I've ever encountered trying to get five minutes with a pop star. I mean, mm. you know, Rocco, we should explain, is yeah, Ben's yeah, manager. Yeah. Um, and then Sue, I really want to mention. I thought Helen's mum, Sue, was just yeah. what a great character. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can associate this with me mike as the men in this podcast but sometimes it can be quite daunting to meet a mother-in-law but i got the feeling that yeah. if i met sue it would be a party yes yeah 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 she's definitely somebody who's um who's who's not the kind of typical mother-in-law and uh, she is lovely and uh, again she was a real pleasure to write so it was you know you this every now and again you just kind of get these characters together that's just the right sort of sort of character and they all sort of seem to spark off each other even the kids you know the kids in the book um helen's kids they just felt really real to me every everybody felt real to me so mm. it almost feels like you know they were just feeding me their lines yeah it was great well my mother-in-law is actually called sue so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so um, it's not based on I yours mean, you've told me many times she's amazing isn't she and she's yeah, she a bundle she's of fun and yeah you wouldn't lovely. want anyone else for your mother-in-law no well, I, that, yeah, I don't. Is that, credi- it's, it's that credible a, enough? Is that, are we all right there? <laughs> um, now feels like a good point to hear some of your story, Mike Gale. <laughs> Where are we starting at the beginning? Are you going to jump in to a bit that needs a bit of a setup? Um, I'm going to I'm going to read uh, from a little bit from the beginning, and this is where. Um, uh, I suppose this is going to be self-explanatory, but Helen is waiting for uh, Adam to arrive to take the children on holiday. Um, and uh yeah so i'll just start reading chapter one helen as helen stood at the front room window watching her husband's car pull up outside the house she thought she might throw up then once she was sure she wasn't going to be sick her next instinct was to march upstairs to her son frankie's room grab his cricket bat from the side of the wardrobe where he kept it and then use it to smash the living daylights out of adam's audi a3 it was she thought the very least he deserved to witness his pride and joy being destroyed by the hand of the angry Perry menopausal woman he had so cruelly abandoned. She resisted the temptation, however, as she was trying her best to be civil, and she was pretty sure that wrecking her estranged husband's car was about as uncivil as things got. Stepping out into the hallway, Helen called the stairs to her kids and told them to hurry up. After several moments, however, when they hadn't even acknowledged her summons, let alone responded to it, she called out again. Frankie, Esme, your dad's here. Silence. She tried again. Come on, kids. Your dad's here. He's waiting. Yet more silence. Finally, Helen screamed at the top of her voice. If you two are down here in the next five seconds, I'm going to lose it. Do you hear me? Absolutely lose it. Helen hated yelling up the stairs to her children more than anything. It made her feel like she was a bad mother. Something she'd felt day in, day out to some degree ever since her daughter Esme was born 18 years ago, and a feeling which had only intensified on the arrival of her son Frankie four years later. What she hated most about yelling was it was never her first chosen method of communication. Every single time she needed her children to do something, she would start calmly by calling out a gentle request, which would, without fail, need to be repeated a second and third time. Eventually, it would dawn on her that her children her own flesh and blood, the two people she had brought into this world and who had caused untold damage to her body in the process, had heard her, but for reasons best known to themselves, had chosen to ignore her. Now, here's what I wanted to ask you. If you weren't doing this and you hadn't done this so brilliantly for 25 years, did you think you would ever be a stand-up? And the reason I say that is because, A, you're Mm -hmm. really funny, but B, you're a brilliant observer of life. And there's loads of great little observations in this. I've got another one to read to you in a minute. And I just feel, maybe you've tried it, I don't know, for all I know. You might have done a bit, but I just thought that would be a natural career path for someone with your observational skills and comedic skills. Thank you very much. I I suppose um, the the observation um, 
was is something that has always been in my writing, and I suppose um, that was one of the reasons why I was drawn to writing for teenagers because you got to do observational comedy, but in written form. And so, uh, when I used to write articles for, for like Just Seventeen and, and Top of the Pops magazine, you get to drop in little jokes in there um, or make observations about pop stars and things like that. And so it would always be um, it'd always be quite. Uh, Funny and you, you could have a little bit of a laugh. I always remember when I was just seventeen. I, I wrote a, you know, the the the, the royal the royal boys um, as they were back then, um, were kind of favourites to the readers. And I, I remember making a joke about um, Prince William and Prince Harry in a Pocahontas, um, both wearing Pocahontas pants and bed set. And uh, oh, the readers! Oh man, honestly, we had bucketfuls of letters. Just say, how dare you say that about us? They're lovely. Like, <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke. Don't stalk me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do I do like the comedy, but I, I think I prefer my comedy written down. Um, I, I, you know, this, this is the strange thing about being a writer is that people who tend to be drawn to writing, it's because they tend to be not particularly good at writing, uh, you know, speaking themselves and they prefer writing and honing and getting that joke sharper and sharper and sharper. And then um, they kind of get wheeled out into the world, blinking and squinting. And then, you know, they find themselves kind of having to talk to people when actually they prefer writing. So for me, my chosen medium for comedy is is writing. I don't think I'll be quite as good um, in, in kind of real life. Um, Although, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a different beast. Also, you know, I'm talking about things that I'm, you know, I, I tend to be talking about books and my career and, and things like that. So these are things that I've been talking about for 25 years. And so it, it, it is probably the closest I've come to kind of having a standard routine is, is my career. So, you know, I can talk to you about my career for a very long time and, um, <laughs> and sound like I'm really, really witty. But ask me about anything that happened last week and, you know, I'd just be hopeless. <laughs> Let me just read this passage out then. Just for context, uh, you'll hear the name Gabby here, who's Helen's best mate, and you'll hear the name Nathan, who's Ben's brother, but there's no sp um, plot spoilers in what I'm about to read to you. Helen had just pressed send on a text asking Gabby if she was free for a chat later in the day. When out the corner of her eye, she noticed Ben and Nathan returning to the car park. Both their faces were equally impassive, making it impossible to guess how their meeting had gone. Had they been women, Helen thought, it would have been completely obvious, and not for the first time she wondered at the mysterious nature of male relationships and men's ability to conceal their emotions. Now, the men's bit, obviously, you're qualified to write on. Had they been women, that bit, did you run that by a woman before you put it in? <laughs> I do, I do. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I've, you know, I feel very strongly that um, as an author, um, we are... Our job is to create characters that um, our readers will believe in. And given that um, women make up half the population, there's no, you know, you can't turn around to me as an author and, and say, oh, I can't, I, I don't do women, I don't write women. You know, it's, it's a nonsense. It's, it's like being saying that you're a portrait painter and saying, I don't do noses. Um, the, so it's vital that as authors we are able to inhabit other people's point of view not just our own and so it's it, i feel quite strongly about that and um and so part of you know we're talking about observational comedy but part of my my desire is that my observations as an author is to observe people and so i want my i want my female characters to be completely believable um that said, uh, I will always, um, I'll always read it past my wife, um, just because um, she's good at spotting things, and also because I'm the my the one place where I'm not particularly good uh, uh, is um, women's clothes. I don't have any idea about women's clothes, you know. Left to me, it'd be like, oh, she's wearing a top and some mm. a skirt of description. Um, I have been known in the past to. Um, refer to the uh, next spring summer catalogue just to kind of get a few ideas about oh right Helen's wearing an asymmetrical top and uh, this year's a 
you know, A-shaped hairline. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Which is weird, though, because just... that chiffon blouse you're wearing now on Zoom looks beautiful. Yeah. But again, I, I, it, it, I just have to really think hard when it comes to kind of women's clothes because it's just like, you know, I don't do a great deal of thinking about it. But um, yeah, so, you know, you get, you get them dressed and you kind of just think, yeah, that, that's right. OK, I could do that. Like, like I said about observing. So I think I think, you know, we we you know, your research doesn't have to be kind of, you know, looking things up. It, it can just be about spending time with people, just yeah. observing people, remembering or recalling things that have of uh, have happened to you or people that you would remind, you know, so you might, you know, so just so that there's a it's got a grounding in reality, I suppose. Yeah. Does that make people wary of you, Mike, in social settings? Do, do friends ever say, <laughs> but this better not end up in your next book if they do something funny when you're out and about? Well, I, again, it's, it's, it's really funny because I think when you're when you're an author, when you meet, you know, so for, people meet so, so few authors that yes. um, when they do know an author, uh, I kind of I can't help but think that they all think that we are just sitting there with our pens, just <laughs> writing down everything that they do because it's so interesting. Yeah. And when you tell people that you you make stuff up, they genuinely look at you askance like they just can't. No, you didn't. You didn't make that. Up. And I go, I did. I made it up. And again, That's my job. No. <laughs> An entire book. Yes, I made it up. This is what I do. And like they just refused. And and I suppose it, it's. In in a way, it's a, it's a compliment because what they're saying, in essence, is I believe this book from beginning to end. So surely it has to be based on a real story. You yeah. can't have just made this up because yeah. you know what kind of weird voodoo is that? You know <laughs> that you can just make up an entire world that people can believe in and get emotionally attached to characters and in and and empathise in their situations. You know. It, it's a real skill to have. So it, it's it's a it's a strange one that people just genuinely don't believe that you make stuff up and, and that that you are just literally writing down your own story, the stories of your friends, um, and you know, it, never once thinking to themselves, you know, actually, I've met Mike Gow and he's pretty boring. He's a very boring man. Um, I wouldn't read one of his books if it was about him because you know he doesn't do anything. He writes books and uh, he. <laughs> used to take his dog for a walk and he watches telly you know he's there, there was a there was a universal truth uh moment that you just reminded me of that really made me smile that happens in the book where helen goes into a supermarket at one point and it's yeah. just and you, you write it so casually it's a line that she picks up a basket and then obviously by the time she's been in there for five minutes, she's filled up the basket and it's like, why didn't I get a trolley? I can barely carry it now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we all do. Yeah. <laughs> like every single time, every I time. need two things. I need yeah. two things. And yeah. you got to go, right. If you need two things, that means you're going to buy eight. So you might as well get a trolley. <laughs> yeah, always, always. Yeah. 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 Um. Can I ask you as well about the kids in this? So I don't know the ages of your kids right now, but I'm guessing they're kind of similar maybe to the ones in the book. So my my kids are 20 and 16. Okay, yeah. could you, you deal with empty nesting yeah. really touchingly in this story. So presumably that was drawing empathetically on your own experience of you and your wife and, and going through that. Um, yeah, it, it was, but I, I suppose... Um... It's interesting because it because there's, there's the there were echoes of kind of empty nesting in all the lonely people as well, and that was just before. Um, so my daughter was at sixth form then, mm-hmm. um, and obviously we're a couple of few years later on. And so I, I I think one of the things that I'm I'm sort of aware that I do is I I tend to write about situations that I've not yet experienced thinking to myself trying to I suppose imagine what it might feel like before you actually so I'm not actually drawing on my own experience I'm actually but I am at the same time so I'm actually thinking okay my kids are this age and this age and this potentially could happen in a couple of years like what might that feel like Mm -hmm. and I could wait until and, and and sort of say oh it might it's gonna it feels like this or but I think I find it more interesting as, a, as an author to kind of go, 
actually, what do I imagine it might feel like? And that's quite an interesting kind of thing to do. And because you, it, I suppose it means that you you are a little bit more analytical about the things that you're describing. So you're rather than just being having your judgment clouded by your own experiences, I'm then just kind of projecting to the future and just thinking, okay, I suspect it will be X, Y, and Z with a little bit of A and B um, added in. So yes, I'm drawing from my own experience, but not directly in the way that you might think. I wonder, is that um, is there some kind of self-preservation emotionally in that too, that if you've already in fiction lived it, you're kind of then stealing yourself or setting yourself up for how it might be? I don't know. I'm no psychotherapist, but um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. You're doing a good impression of one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect you're right. I suspect mm. you're right. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean... This, this is, uh, and perhaps this is, you know, he says, um, thinking he should lie down. Um, perhaps <laughs> this, this is partly what draws me to fiction is the, the kind of the idea of exploring, you know, alternative universes and alternative paths and what ifs, and, you know, but in a kind of, um, in a kind of a safe way. Uh, so that you can kind of mentally, you're exploring um, what things might be like. I suppose, I suppose, especially when you when you kind of think about um, the husband in a song of me and you, he is to some degree a, a cautionary tale for for all men, uh, middle aged men. Um, you know, there's there's an element of you know part of the pleasure of rising him. I think is that perhaps we all have the potential to be him and to sort of go, do you know what? You don't want to go down that road. Yeah. You don't want to go around that road. And so, yeah, I don't know. Now, now, you've made, now you've made me really self-conscious now. I'm never going to write again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. His 25-year career came abruptly to an end after an appearance on the bestsellers <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I wanted to ask you, Mike? We do a lot of crime writers on this podcast, and yeah. uh, a lot of them, I think you know Anthony Horowitz, who we love, um, yeah. will test his ending out because he wants you to feel like you've got a fair chance of guessing it, but he doesn't really yeah. want you to actually get it, right? Yeah. Um, is that the same with your books? Because although they're not they're not whodunits, they're kind of um, – they're the romantic equivalent of them, aren't they, I would say? Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I'm I'm really conscious of is and the, and the thing that kind of bores me with a lot of fiction is the idea that you kind of you know where everything's going to go yeah and it it kind of goes there and i think there's a satisfaction to be kind of, there is a certain satisfaction to be had from it but it's not a satisfaction it's not something that i get particular satisfaction from and so what i like to do is to surprise the reader in some way so my I think I think the deal that I make with my readers is you are going to enjoy the ride and you are going to care about these characters but I'm not necessarily going to give you the happy ending that you well no it's not even that I'm not going to give it to you I think I want you when you pick up a Mike Gale book I want you to have that slight trepidation because you know that everything is up for grabs. So there's an element. So when you when you when you pick up one of my books, you might go, okay, I'll look at the blurb. I'll kind of work out to myself where I think it's gonna go. But it's a Mike Gale book, so I know that it might not go there. And I think. I think that's the important thing, just that having that little seed of doubt that it's not necessarily going to go the way that you think is is enough to kind of make the reading experience that little bit like, okay, there's proper jeopardy here because it's a Mike Gale book. Everything is up for grabs. And I don't want you to shortchange yourself, and I'm wary that someone might be listening to this 
and might be coming to this book as their first Mike Gale experience. Yeah. So I would like to just add tag on to the end of that. You do mostly, I've not read a book of yours where I've not felt happy at the end. That's what I want to say. Yes. Yeah. 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 So the I'll, happiness I'll, is there. Yeah, it might not yeah, be the, the path to happiness that you think yeah. you're going on. I guess everything wrong in this book, by the way, which probably give you a great yeah. amount of satisfaction. <laughs> but I was still really, really filled with joy when I got to the end yeah. of it. And that's yeah. why it's such a special book for both Natalie and me this year. And I think it's really important when people aren't having much fun in their day-to-day lives, that when they go to the arts for escape, that they get that boost of happiness. No, you make, you, you make a really good point. And, and, and I suppose the, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of, I suppose, you know, if there's a common thread through all my books is that, um, life doesn't always turn out the way that you think it will do but we make we try and make the best of it and um and i suppose there's 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 always hope in in all all of the books and that's the 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 kind of the i suppose the the kind of common thread and this book is no different It, it it's a book that is infused with hope in in certainly in in a number of hopeless situations but you know there is there is good there is uh there is um there is hope and stuff to look forward to and like i say life doesn't go always go the way that you want but we make the best of the situation you know the, the the situation that's uh that kind of comes our way we do and uh my 10 year old just literally walked in on us yeah <laughs> <laughs> he did say yeah <laughs> But it was very well timed because my 14-year-old had come back from school and I'd already messaged her to say in a very Helen way from this book to be like, oh, I'm doing a recording. Can you just, you know, just so you know. And so she walks in and the lounge is next door to where I do this and she's blasted the telly with her friends. <laughs> also, okay. also, just be Bye. grateful that you said the sentence, my 10-year-old walked in on us when you're recording a podcast and not doing anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. But just briefly on that ending before we move on, um, yeah. I know when we spoke to you before that you plan your books and that you have a route map but you can kind of veer off if you need to so it's not necessarily set with this one was that arc always set or did you take a massive detour uh that arc was was set before i wrote a single word um and it 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 was just again it's one of those things you know I, i i tend to do an outline before i i write um so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of map it all out and then I'll do an outline. And again, you know, I'll send that outline to my editor and agent and get their kind of feedback on it. And, you know, when an outline, even just an outline can make you feel things, you know, that you're, you know, it's going to be a really good book because it's, it's that, it's that kind of, you know, it's only three pages in, and yet, they can be invested, you know, they, you know, the, you can be invested, you can, there's the kind of shock, horror, gasping bit, there's the kind of R at the end. So it's it's almost like a, a form of mini novel in a way. And so when I did that, I knew that it was the absolutely the right way to go. So I kind of got a really good reaction. So I knew that that was the, the right way to go for the book. So talk to us about the, this 25th year then, because there's lots going on, isn't there, with your publisher? So this is this is out now, this new book. Then you've yeah. got the paperback of uh, the Museum of Ordinary People, and then they're going to put out your first ever book. Is that right? That's that's right. So um, My Literary Girlfriend came out 25 years ago um, this coming August. Wow. And uh, so um, I think the, there's, there's going to be a silver anniversary version coming out in just towards the beginning or middle of September. Um, and very nicely, uh, what, they, what they've done is they've managed to, um, they've got some readers. We, we set up a special Facebook group for some readers where they could all kind of share their thoughts of, of, and their experience of, of becoming one of my readers across these 25 years. And so um, they've included some of those in with the book. And so it's a really special book because, you know, the readers kind of get to have their their, their say. And, Did you read you know, it, it again recently? Have you reversioned it in any way, shape or form? Or is it oh, straightforward? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I read I read My Legendary Girlfriend um, during lockdown because I was doing some Facebook uh, readings. And, um, and I was struck, a couple of things struck me. 
uh, the first of which was, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one to kind of normally blow my own trumpet, but it was really, really well written. I mean, <laughs> and it, it really shocks me because, um, because you kind of expect to kind of go back to your beginning and just kind of just think, oh, is this going to be a bit cringe? Am I going to be, you know, am I going to oh, I'm going to have to read it with one eye closed and um, or whatever? And then I actually read it. And it, it struck me that um, this was almost a book that had been percolating in me for a long time. And so when it kind of came out, um, it it just, it you know, this was me. It just came, everything came out right. And one of the interesting things, the other interesting thing was that kind of I was aware of in, in kind of rereading it was... I had a really good grasp of, without having A, written a novel before, or B, doing any kind of long-form creative writing, I actually had a really good idea about, about structure. And the only thing I can put it down to was the fact that I read a lot at the time. I was just reading constantly. And I always say this to people, if you, know, if you, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be an author, you've got to read you've got to read because reading 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 books reading fiction is and if you want to write fiction reading fiction is the best teacher because you 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 absorb you absorb things without really knowing that you're absorbing things so you know i had a really good grasp of of uh, of act structure despite the fact that i didn't know what act structure was when i wrote it and it's quite an interesting thing that that just, you know, it was. I suppose when I when I read it, I was I was. It's the I was shocked by the, the you know, it's that beautiful the, the kind of arrogance of youth. You know, mm. when you think you're you know you're so young, you feel like you're indestructible and you just do things, and it's only you know later on that you kind of you know. Um, self-awareness kind of gets in the in the way and kind of stops you from doing the things that you want to do but back then I, I just remember I remember saying to people I'm gonna write a novel and then I did <laughs> and again it, it's I, I see it in my own case I, you know they just because you you know you don't know how difficult things can be they just go yeah I'll do that okay yeah. all right then and they do, and they go, and you know, you know, and uh, you know. For instance, my, my kids are going. Um, my eldest is going when she went travelling around. The, she went a bit world travelling. And your first gut instinct as an adult is to kind of go, "Well, oh, there's so much to go wrong." Mm. And she went. She came back. She had a brilliant time. And I think to myself, "Yeah, that's exactly the way it should be." That she, you know, she wasn't bogged down with my worries and concerns, but actually she met with situations she dealt with them and that's what you want young people to be you want them to be confident you don't want them to be reckless but you want them to be confident and to go out there and to explore the world and to be a bit little bit fearless and I think that that's something that you know it's a shame but you you do tend to lose as you get older now there's um, a book called the happiness curve Mike it's non-fiction have yeah. you heard of it no I've not no so the theory is and I'm using my finger to illustrate this over as too, that our lives go like a capital U and the, yeah. the arrogance of youth you've got, your happiness starts at the top of the one stick of the U. And then as you get yeah. older and you're more self-aware, you get to the bottom of the U, the belly of it. And then they reckon at 56-ish is when you come out of that and you start to not give a shit anyone. You kind of regain that arrogance of youth. I don't know whether you think we've got there yet or not. I'm a few I, I, think I think they could well have a point. I, de- I think this is because I definitely feel that that same sort of feeling uh, kind of coming back. You could just kind of think, well, well, if not now, then when? You know, yeah, why, exactly. why not? Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, you, you, you sort of do lose your confidence in the, yeah. in the kind of middle of things. Yeah. Um, I suppose at the very beginning, you've got nothing to lose. So, you gamble, you know, you're quite happy to gamble everything because, you know, what, you're just going to end up back where you are. Whereas, I suppose, in the middle, you, you've got, you know, you've hopefully, you know, managed to kind of, you've, you've got kids, you've got mm. a marriage, you've got a home, you've got all these other things. And so you've got so much more that actually, if you lose that, then 
it's a bigger it's a it's a much bigger deal to go back to the beginning and then you know by the time you reach 56 you're just like well you're almost back to the beginning again because you're like thinking well what what can I lose mm-hmm. you know why not and so uh, yeah no, definitely I think that definitely think there's something in it yeah yeah but it's no mean feat to have had 19 books published right and to make money from that career and not take it for granted it, it honestly um I remember getting my my first book deal and we I went to go and see my publishers and with my agent and I'm in a taxi on the way there she said to me all right they're going to ask you uh, um about your next book and do you have any idea what your next book's about and I was just like next book this is everything I have to say about everything there is no next book <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know you because you, you're horrified because you pour your heart and soul and everything into this one book the idea of there being a second book just and then so when you 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 do find yourself writing a second book you know the idea certainly idea of me being still being writing uh 20 years 25 years in the future just never crossed my mind just you know i was very much like every time I finished a book. It felt like, you know, I'd just done a three tours of the world and I didn't want to do anything else. But then you you stop writing, you have a couple of weeks off, and then suddenly it's just like, bing, there's an idea, and bing, there's a desire to write that idea, and you just want to get back to it. Um, you know, and so yeah, it, it's it's a, it's an absolute pleasure and an honour. So, what else have you been reading lately that you'd like to recommend to people listening? It doesn't have to be a new book; can be old books, whatever you fancy. So uh, there are a couple of things. Um, I read the Antidote by Oliver Berkman, which is a non-fiction book. Um, actually, sorry, not the Antidote. I was I was going to talk about actually Four Thousand Weeks, which is uh, Oliver Berkman book. Um, the Antidote is. By Oliver Berkman, and that's really good. But Four Thousand Weeks is is probably better, and it's it's a non-fiction book about about uh, four thousand weeks is uh, apparently how long the average life is, and so um, trying to make the most of it. And it's a really good thought-provoking book um, that I definitely recommend to anybody. I've heard other people and... talk about it as well because I initially my brain was like, I don't want to know that. I'm going to start like feeling what I've squandered already, but it's not that type of read, right? No, no, it's not at all. And and, and I suppose the thing about thinking about it is four thousand uh, uh, four thousand weeks is making you think actually if this is <laughs> if this is a limited amount of time, a finite amount of time, then maybe. I need to spend my time more wisely. Um, and, yeah, just kind of just thinking about, do I really want to do this? And is this how I want to spend my time? You know, it's interesting. I'll just while you were talking, then you made me want to work it out. But based on my current age, I've got 1,504 weeks left. So I think I've exactly. got a few more weeks of can't be asked in me. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, well, I'm honoured that you've spent one of those hours. Yeah, with us. With us. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Um, uh, the other book that I've got is um, that I've been recommending to people is um, In the Blink of an Eye by Joe Callahan. So this is a, it's a kind of um, a police procedural, um, but with a bit of a twist because the uh, it's a kind of a buddy cop duo. But uh, she's a cop and a human and her her kind of buddy is an A.I., um Ooh. and it's about the kind of i suppose technology and policing and um it's a really really good book yeah and set in the midlands as well so I've, i'm um well disposed towards it in the blink <laughs> of an eye joe callahan yeah. is jo uh the tagline's J- quite yeah, good J-O. for that mike yeah. one detective one hologram and a case that will test them both oh i mean yes yeah absolutely yes yeah. really really good stuff as you mentioned, the Midlands then, um, you're clearly still living there. You know I'm from there, so I've got a little recommendation for you because you mentioned that you're the king of the summer reads and when the sun shines, you might be partial or two to an ice cream. Have you been to La Pop? Have you heard of La Pop? Yes, yeah, yeah, in five ways, yes. Yeah, yeah I've been yeah. there, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you been there recently? Yeah, because my sister-in-law lives there and then I recommend it to my brother who's also still in Birmingham. I'm the only one that's not in Birmingham. And yeah, um, uh, yeah basically, Nat, you'd love this. It's a make-your-own magnum shop. So you choose the ice cream first on the <laughs> yeah. stick, right? Yeah. Then you, then you stick it in the kind of, what do you want the shell to be? Yeah. 
So I had a half and half shell. Then you can have like sprinkles or whatever on top of that. And then it goes into something else. It's like, just, you just keep dipping it in stuff that you might get. And by the end of it, you end up with this yeah, magnet. Yeah. It's the way it sets so quickly that gets me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. But what I particularly liked is the way you said, make your own magnum. I don't yeah. think there's, there's ever been a more brilliant uh, sentence said, <laughs> make your own magnum. <laughs> brilliant stuff. Yeah, you don't want to pay them prices down as demolished. Just yeah. go make your own. No, no. Make your own magnum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> lovely uh listen this book is superb uh really really touched us both it's really brilliant i would say it's, it's your best one that i've read i haven't read all 19 Thank but i've read you. a few as you know and this is your best one for me mike gale a song of me and you take this on holiday and even if it rains it will still be sunny yeah yeah so good <laughs> I know he's a returning visitor, but every time we spend an hour or so with Mike Gale, you realise why his books are the way they are, because he's actually lovely. So, yeah. so of course, his books are going to be lovely to read because he's a lovely person to spend an hour with. I quite yeah. like the fact he reckons he's boring. I don't reckon he's boring. Anyone who tells you they're boring is usually the opposite of boring. Do you think? Yeah, it's like people who tell you they're hard. They're not that yeah, hard. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. The genuine hard cases don't tell you they're hard. And then you probably really know some people who say, like, what amazing lives they've got, and they're so boring. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You should come to mine for the weekend. We'll have the most fun. That sentence normally is a red flag. Yeah, no, no, you won't. <laughs> You'll do what you think is fun. And actually, I have no interest in fly fishing. So, yeah, for example, I don't know anybody who fishes. I don't think, do I? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, um, what I also wanted to say about this book uh, is it, it just felt like a conversation. So I think what Mike does so well is that ease of storytelling is you can imagine it's you're just kind of having a chat with someone it's that it's that easy if that makes any sense it does make a lot of sense yeah it makes a lot of sense because sometimes you're reading a book and you think okay so hang on where's this going and where's it but i think that's why you're that's why you're up late till 2 a.m reading this aren't you because you just think all oh, right okay oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah before you know it, you're thumbing these pages away thinking oh i really should go to bed mm-hmm. but there's no real yeah. kind of suitable break point is it because he just keeps the narrative flowing yeah. and um yeah all the th- all the kind of story changes are really well done there's no massive timeline leaps it's mm-hmm. all just it's just a it's joy great. just yeah, a joy it's probably great i was literally a whisper away from being like uh, do you have a mentor writers mike oh would you like that yeah i'd love that because I think I need more motivation. Well, do I need more motivation? I need, you need I more really belief. enjoyed, yeah, I really enjoyed when we were talking about uh, self-confidence and self-belief and, yeah. and you know, to hear Mike Gale saying he has that dip and I'm like, well, I'm in that trough right now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think he's great, um, but I would never abuse that position. Uh, yeah, but we need to do a bit of business in, saying thank you to anybody who's bought us a metaphorical coffee, which, uh, where can they good. go again, Phil? You're very good, aren't you? You're very good. Could you tell that that's what I was doing when you were talking? <laughs> it's like a second, I just second flipped, nature now. I flipped over to co-fee.com just to check because we have, so we record these in batches, as you probably know, and we haven't recorded for a while. So this is the first chance we've had to say thank you to a few people. So uh, I'm trying to remember who we thanked and who we didn't thank. Did we thank Ailey in the Outer Hebrides? Uh, I'm not sure if we did. Even if we did, like a double thanks, I think is more than. She says, love your party. Enjoy a coffee with best wishes from the Outer Hebrides. Jane Lawson bought us a coffee. Uh, I used to love the reviews that Natalie did on Times Radio with you. And I'm now loving this podcast. It inspires me to try new styles. Listen to Joanne Harris today. Phil, totally agree with what your dad said. You definitely bring out the best in your guests. You did say that one before. Yeah, that's all right. You can Uh, say thanks again. So if people do if people do still want to buy us a metaphorical yeah. coffee, oh, we'll get there. How don't do worry. they do that? We'll get there, okay. but strap in because there's a few here. Uh Carol says, Thanks for this podcast. It's defo my favorite heart emoji. So we Aww. are someone's favorite. Isn't that brilliant? I just just Thanks, only one Carol. person's favorite makes makes my day. Uh Tamar, enjoying your podcast all the way from Israel. Love the writers that you host, and you both ask great and interesting questions. And <laughs> then can you um hang on, I need to just flip back into your screen so i can see your face for this one we've had our first return donator no way yeah that was worth it look at the joy i just want to say thanks to tamar as well for uh that lovely review from israel yeah so ray blake has bought us a coffee and says 
Here's another cup so you have one each from me. Love the recent episodes. I wonder if you might speak to Belinda Bauer in a future series. I don't know anyone who pushes the genre boundaries like she does. So that's also the first time that we had like an author request, which I am familiar with Belinda Bauer. I've got a couple of her books in the spare room. I've never interviewed her, though. Um, so maybe that's something that we can look at as well. If there is an author that you would like us to approach, then you can reach us through Kofi, ko-fi.com slash bestsellers podcast, or you can email us. And I can't for the life of me remember the email address, can you? It's something like bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. Try that. That should so. work. I think that's what it is. But I also really like that in the way that we get to have these conversations with authors, that there's other conversations going on out there when people are listening to this and mm-hmm. And hopefully you're recommending books to your friends as well. And by all means, do come back to us with things that you've loved reading. Because, again, going back to why we did this podcast in the first place, it was because we hate that snobbery around books. And part of that comes from it's a sort of one-upmanship of like, oh, have you? do you know this author? Have you read that person? How can you not know that? And there are so many books. There are so many authors. It's impossible. So we don't know everything. We would never prescribe to know everything. So if there's a great book out there that you've loved a great author uh, that we haven't spoken to yeah recommend them and we'll see what we can do so ko-fi.com slash bestsellers podcast if you want to buy us a brew or just get in touch say hello through Kofi, then we'll check that and we'll be back very soon because the run continues it does and we're going to be recommending some of our own favorite reads to hopefully set you up for a brilliant summer of reading (laughs) 